Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to the Life, Death, and Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. I know it seems like a strange combination, but that gives me a unique view of life and death. Death can be scary. I get that. That's why I'm doing this. I want to help people explore life, death, and what it all means. We are born and we die. What we do in the middle is the space between. Mark Coleman is the author of From Suffering to Peace, Make Peace with Your Mind and Awake in the Wild. He is the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. He lives in Northern California, and today I'm excited to welcome him to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Amy. Great to be with you. Great to have you here today. So let's start by you giving us a definition of what mindfulness is, as well as your perspective on how it's sort of changed and gotten watered down, perhaps, in the past 20, 25 years? Yeah. So the simple definition, mindfulness, is basically clear awareness. It's the knowing what's happening as it's happening. And for a more fuller definition, it's the awareness of our physical, mental, emotional, and environmental experience with an attitude of curiosity and kindness that supports understanding and wisdom. That's a long, that's a long <laughs> definition. But basically, it's the awareness of our experience. And this is what's gotten forgotten about. You know, as mindfulness has exploded, it's been reduced to attention, just focusing, right? Which is one part mm-hmm. of mindfulness. It's paying attention in the present moment you know, with clarity, with focus. But the, the, the context of that practice is we, we do that not as an end in itself, although it's, it's a good thing to be aware, it's a good thing to be present. But as we become present, it allows us to know ourselves and, and each other and, and reality with more depth, with more clarity, with more understanding. And the reason we do that is because if we don't do that, we end up causing a lot of uh, stress and pain and unnecessary suffering for ourselves and others. So can you give an example of what it looks like to be present in day-to-day life? Because I think people can sometimes think they're being present when they're not, um, or th- th- I don't know that people really fully understand what that, how that translates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there's different levels of that, right? So, um, for example, here's a classic example. You drive to work every day, same drive, same commute, same traffic, same route. And um, someone asks you, oh, how was your drive today? And because you were either on your phone, listening to the radio, or just spaced out, lost in thought, which we are most of the time, you might say, uh, I don't know, I can't actually even remember which roads I took. I think I came that way, but I don't actually remember anything of the whole 30-minute commute. That's being present enough not to crash, which is helpful, 
mm-hmm. but not present enough to really recollect and and be present for all of that experience, how you were feeling, what you noticed, the beautiful day or the commute or the thoughts that you were having. So that's one simple example of how we live on that autopilot where, you know, and we do a lot of things on autopilot. You know, we walk the dog, we drive, we do the dishes, we clean the house, we um, go to meetings and we're sort of there, but we're really, our attention or our mind is usually thinking about something else, right? That's our autopilot state Mm -hmm. versus being present, like walking the dog and being present is, feeling the, the, the feel of the leather leash in your hand and you're walking outside and you notice, oh, it's cool today and the crispness of the air is brushing against you, the, you know, your cheeks, but you notice that the air is really fresh and you take an inhale and it's revitalizing and you're listening to the crunch of snow on the ground as you walk or you're noticing perhaps the, you know, spring is coming and, oh, the the buds that I've noticed on, on the trees all winter of suddenly coming opening. And uh, I notice my state of mind starts to feel a little more expansive because I'm now outside and not stuck in my, in my office or wherever I left. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's just that there's a, there's a multi-layered, it's a textured level of awareness in the same way. Um, you know, like when you're say giving a presentation at work, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, teaching in, in a company, you know, awareness allows me to be aware of myself, be aware of the room, be aware of the people, be aware of the material, be aware of the time, be aware of how I'm feeling, be aware of the energy in the room. And so um, I just do that with a lot more skill than if I'm not that present. And meditation is the tool to get you to that presence. Right. So meditation, particularly mindfulness meditation, is a training like we go to the gym to work out the body we 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 meditate as a training for the mind and so with mindfulness meditation we're cultivating attention awareness mindfulness and and that's directed to certain things so usually most people when they meditate with mindfulness practice you're paying attention to your breath you're paying attention to your body you're paying attention to your feelings you're paying attention to your thoughts and so you're developing that self-awareness which naturally and somewhat sort of magically translates so if you meditate for a few weeks you'll find even if you've just focused on your breath for a month you know 10 minutes a day you'll notice that you start to be a little more aware maybe when you're in conversation with your kids or a little more aware when you're getting reactive to a colleague at work or a little more aware that you after every meal you feel bloated because you've overeaten it just the, the, when we cultivate the muscle of awareness, which we're doing in meditation, it naturally starts to translate because that awareness is not isn't is not separate. So in the and, same way that when you work out the body, you you, you might not like the gym because it's kind of hard work, but you start to feel more energy and more vital and more you know poised in life. And and one of the th- concepts that I think has been happening more and more in I guess these times is, and you, you mentioned it earlier that it's become, I think people get, I hear this a lot in my practice. People get stuck on this notion of when I'm in sitting in a medit, I'm not good at meditation. I hear that a lot. I'm not good at meditation because when I sit quietly, my mind 
races or I have all these thoughts and I can't get these thoughts to go away. Can you right. speak to that piece yeah, of this? I, yeah. I mean, often, you know, I'm sitting on a plane and someone says, what do you do? And I say, I teach meditation. They say, oh, I can't do that. I think too much. I'm like, that's exactly why you meditate <laughs> to train your mind because we all think too much. We all, you know, we're all multitasking now. We're all hyper-distractible. And technology is making our attention literally uh, decrease, you know, capacity to concentrate. And so that's the perfect reason for meditating because meditation, you know, the, 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 view, the popular view of meditation is you sit, you close your eyes, you bliss out, you have a great time, and you're floating on clouds, right? But actually, mindfulness practice is no different than your life. You sit and you're present to your experience. And sometimes that's beautiful, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's boring. Sometimes you get irritated, sometimes you're distracted and thinking a lot and worrying about your kids, sometimes you're peaceful. And mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening, meeting it with awareness, attention, curiosity, and then learning how to work with that. So the main <coughs> work in meditation is you get distracted, you notice you start thinking about work, and you go, okay, that's not what I'm doing right now, not now, I'll think about that later, and you come back to the breath. And then two seconds later, oh, but what about my kids? I forgot to drop off their lunch. Well, I'll do that after the meditation. Come back, feel your breath. Oh, but what about tonight? And my dinner, come back. And so, so meditation is a training mm -hmm. in how to sustain our present moment attention, which is a great skill in life, you know, because like in conversations, you know, if you actually pay attention when we're listening to someone, our mind is going off all the time. Like you're a psychologist, I'm sure. When you're working with people, you know, you're listening, very engaged, but the mind gets distracted. And the more that we are self-aware, the more we acknowledge that and bring it back quicker and actually have more quality conversations as one example. Mm. So I hear a lot too, people who have said, oh, I'm, I don't need to meditate. I'm fine being alone. I, I'm always just thinking and I'm very, you know, I can be in my head and I'm comfortable with that. Not the same. Right. No, very different. So I think of thinking as a, as a suboptimal uh, state of happiness, right? We, um, we all love to think. We, we fantasize. We think about our holidays and our great memories and people we love and, and all that's fine. The, the challenge, though, is that basically, as someone once said from a long time ago, the mind is a great servant but a terrible master. And we're mostly, uh, we're mostly driven by our mind rather than being choiceful. So, for example, you know, we, we can be doing something. Maybe we go watch a great movie or watch our kids perform at school or do something we're really excited about. But our attention, our mind is thinking about some problem, something we're stressing about. And we can, we can barely be present for the, the performance, let's say, because our mind is running the show, right? So that's why it's useful to learn to train the mind so we can have choice when to think, when to plan, when to fantasize and ruminate, and when to actually be present. And if we haven't trained our mind, the mind is mostly going to be the master. And the master, the mind as a master, you know, will tend to rule the roost and be right. How many times have you been, you know, watching your kids play soccer or, you know, at a great you know, concert or a family function and, and you, it's hard to be present because your mind's worrying, spaced out, distracted. And so the beautiful thing about mindfulness training is it allows us to actually really be present 
to ourselves, to life, to experience, to our family. Uh, it's very enriching. Mm-hmm. So it's and, and it's and the the return on the investment to use that very crude you know sort of business term is actually is actually very large because you know we put in you know twenty minutes of meditation a day that will significantly enhance our well-being and quality of life. Mm-hmm. So in your book, which I loved, and I, I read a lot of books, I read a lot of books on a lot of topics, particularly for this podcast, but one of the things I shared with you earlier was how it made, it, it made the concept of meditation very digestible and talked about different areas in, in which you can kind of focus you know, the physical body, the emotional body. Um, But one of the things that you said was you talk about this mantra called one less. What do you mean by that? And how can we use that in everyday life? Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite current mantras. So um, it comes out of the reflection. So my my training is in the Buddhist tradition and and that's where the the mindfulness teachings come from. And that's where the, the, the reason I wrote the book was to, bring back into the public domain of the conversation that this is the point of mindfulness is to explore these deeper truths of life, including the thing, the reality that everything's transient and, um, and, and loss and death and, and change are, part, are very much part of the fabric of life. And the more that we deny them, uh, the more that they uh, smack us in the face mm-hmm. and the more that we turn to them and meet them and understand them and, and accept them as a natural, part of life the more we're going to live with wisdom with less less holding on with letting go all, all kinds less of anxiety, less anxiety depression, right 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 uh, less fear so the one less uh, reflection came out of understanding this the, 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 the there's many meditations where you can uh, uh, orient to uh, the changing nature of experience everything is changing all the time we know things change intellectually but we get really surprised or hurt or pissed off when things change, uh, you know, like a relationship changes or our health changes or even the weather or politics change. Like we, we, we get surprisingly surprised, even though we know that's the basic fabric of life as things change. So um, the one less reflection came from uh, a practice I was doing of just reflecting like every breath that I take is changing every sensation I feel is changing. Every experience I have is changing. Not only is it changing, it's one less time I will experience it in this life. Like each time I see the full moon rise is one less time in my lifetime I will see it right. Every time I experience a beautiful summer, you know, if we think of the seasons in our lives, how many seasons do we have left? You know, if we're lucky, maybe depending on our age, 10, 30, 50, but they're limited. And so when I reflect a one less, it makes me realize, oh, this isn't going to go on forever. And because it's not going on forever, I really want to be present for it. And so each breath that I take, so the inhale, I say one, each exhale, I say less, one less, one less. And it makes me just, the, the point of that reflection is to remind us of the transience of things. And therefore, because things are transient, they're precious, right? This one spring this one breath, this one smile from my child, that's one less time I'll see that. And so let's really be present and, and, and enjoy that and also, also let it go, but appreciate it while it's here. Mm-hmm. Kiss the joy as it flies, as, as Blake said. 
That's that's intense because <laughs> it, it, I think what I'm sort of where my mind goes, even though I'm trying to be present, my mind's going <laughs> um, is how do you do that without attaching to a feeling of sadness about it? Right. Well, um, so again, back to what mindfulness practice is, is, is meeting our experience as it is. So if sadness arises, like you're watching the full moon, which maybe that's one of your things that you love, and it's like, oh, one less full moon rise I will see in my life. There still might be hundreds, but it's right. one less guaranteed. Right. I'm and a it, sunrise it, person, so okay, I love, sunrise. I, and yeah. sunsets. When that sunsets, yeah. it takes my breath away every single time. Right. And you don't necessarily need to say, oh, it's going to be one less sunrise. But the truth is that is true. Right. Uh, um, but, um, you know, especially when it's something finite, like, finite, like you know, this is one less uh, graduation that I'm going to see my kid go through, right? So that's very true. It's got a very finite end to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, of course, sadness might arise or, or grief or tenderness or vulnerability or poignancy. And so with mindfulness, we're also welcoming that. It's, it, there's, it's really just meeting the truth of experience. And if that does evoke sadness, then, then we acknowledge that. You mm-hmm. know, and that, that, that too will pass, mm-hmm. but it's totally an appropriate emotion at times to feel tender or sad. Like, oh, that's too bad. I'll, I only have you know, seven more graduation ceremonies and then my kids are at college or whatever. It's like, yeah, there's a, there's a poignancy to that. And, that's, and then... The more that we can meet the feelings that come up in response in response to change and transience and loss, the less likely we are to be um, really sort of uh, you know flattened or thrown aside when that when the bigger losses come because we, we we're training ourselves to acknowledge oh yeah this is true everything changes everything goes everything eventually passes and mm-hmm. so when the biggest stuff happens like someone we love passes we're not fighting it so much because like, well, of course this is, we'll do everything we can to help and protect and save. Mm-hmm. And we know, and things are going to pass away. Right. Know? That's the impermanence, right. Of yeah. the moment, but also of life. Yeah. Yeah. And meeting it with, and, and that's why I talk a lot. And there's a whole section in the book called, you know, about cultivating training the heart with mindfulness, which is basically awareness we're also learning to bring kindness into that awareness. So for example, with this example of reflecting on loss and change and impermanence, yeah, often it brings sadness or it reminds us of other things we've lost. And it's important that we meet that, not just with clarity, but also with kindness, with, with, with a compassionate attention. Because that also, when we can hold ex- difficult experience with a loving awareness, not just awareness, but a loving attention, it allows, gives us more capacity to hold it. So one of the things on the, on the topic of impermanence, one of the chapters in your book is called Embracing Death's Invitation. And I think you and I think similarly on this topic. How do we keep it, this notion, top of mind without it destroying us? You know, we, we, and from a psychological perspective, we defend against death because there have there has to be some of that healthy defenses i think because otherwise you could be walking around all the time thinking 
anxious that at any moment you could die and this could be it. And that's not a great way to live. So can you speak a little to how you can rec- how you recommend that we keep death as a focus because i do believe if we can keep it at the forefront we can really live such a more full delicious life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by not but also not letting it feed into anxiety which i think so many people at the core of their anxiety is this fear of their mortality right right yeah it, it is a balance and it's important to be balanced and you bring up an important point around when any of these practices like death reflection or impermanence reflection or meeting loss and other similar practices in the book, whenever those reflections or those practices lead to overwhelming states of sadness, grief, loss, fear, anxiety, despair, then that's the time to shift the attention away from that reflection to something else. ideally something that's uplifting, something that's grounding, something that brings a sense of lightness or ease. So for example, like taking the bigger picture, so a lot of my work, as you know, is around nature. And we can look at nature right now from two perspectives. One, knowing that it's all being destroyed, right? Species are being lost at unprecedented rates. You know, every system on the earth, water, you know, is being challenged. And we can either focus on the loss, which there's many, many losses right now, especially around endangered species and, and, and ecosystems. Or we can, know, we can also focus on the fact that right now it's springtime and it's beautiful and there's blossoms and there's grass and there's baby lambs being born and deers. And, and so um, when I take people out into nature, I'm both having them really take in the beauty and the joy because that's equally true as the loss and the, and the degradation mm-hmm. and, and to know when it's appropriate to look at the beauty because that's when you need to be nourished and, and, and feeling, you know, the, the beauty of, of, this, of this earth and at times to also notice, you know, and, and let in the loss. But if the loss leads to overwhelm and despair, it's time to shift the attention back to, yes, that's true, but it's also spring and it's also a beautiful rainfall and forest smells and the, and the daffodils are blooming. And so it's about holding balance. And that's the same with, with ourselves on a more personal level, right? You know, like for example, a couple of things that I do every time I hear a siren, I think, Oh, someone's had an accident and, and quite possibly sick or dying or, or dead. Right. And just like, Oh yes. And that's part of life. Every time I see roadkill and I live sort of, on the edge of nature, I see plenty of roadkill, birds and animals. I, I, I make it my practice to look, to look. I mean, I want to look away. It's like, oh, it's, you know, dead see, bodies. But I usually see dead rats in Chicago, which yes. <laughs> isn't so appealing. I'll look at like a raccoon, but these rats, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But it, 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 it's, I do that as a, not because I enjoy it, but it's like, oh, right. Death is, that's part of life is death. Mm-hmm. And so, so I find that just a healthy reflection. Or when mm. I hear on the news of someone who's died, or I hear a friend who's sick, it's like, that, yes, that, it's going to happen to all of us. We're going to get sick. We're going to age. At some point, we're going to die. So um, I don't keep it as a permanent reflection. Right. But, but a reflection enough to know that when I hear it, I'm not surprised by it. Because, right? 
you know, our culture suppresses it. We hide it. We put sick and old and dead people in a, you know, in a building somewhere. And so we all get surprised. You know, when I'm in India, you know, dead bodies are being, you know, marched in procession through the streets to the funeral grounds. And it's like, all right, death is normalized. Mm -hmm. We have to find our own way to contemplate that. Yeah. Things, things change, things age, things get sick, things get, things die. And that will happen to me. And again, we don't have to do it every day, but you know, as a meditation practice, you know, there's various kinds of meditation practice where we reflect on our own mortality. We reflect that the only certainty in our lives is death. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's uncertain is the timing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that, and, and, and the point of that, not to depress us, but to actually go, okay, well, what do I want to do with this one wild and precious life that I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. So, Let's make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really live. And that's, I think, how you, t- you can love more. You know, and this is sort of, this is morbid, but I mean, every morning I send my kids to school and obviously it's a very scary time to send your kids to school in this country. I do have the thought of like, what if, what if they don't come home? And it brings tears to my eyes, even just saying it to you right now. And I never let them leave the house without me saying to them, I love you and giving them a kiss Mm -hmm. because it's holding both of those realities at the same time Mm -hmm. that allows you to feel more love. Right. Right. Yeah. Because if you don't have that, you know, kids go to school and maybe you're tired or grumpy or stressed and you're like, Oh, get out of here. <laughs> get, get out from under my feet. And as you say, you know, there's, you know, we know these stories of people, you know, you know, in the nine 11 tower or, you know, they forgot to say goodbye to their beloved. And then suddenly, you know, they're in a coma and all oh, right. Cause I assumed as we do, cause we have to assume on one level that things are going to continue, but we also um, we miss those opportunities to make the mo- you know so that moment for you saying goodbye is very precious mm-hmm. and, and and why not you know and why not make every moment that that precious because because it is because it's it's not going to last and so mm-hmm. it, it, it just allows us to wake up you know to the it's, the it's the ironic thing people think death reflection is morbid depressing but actually it creates a poignancy and a tenderness. Um, for life and, and for really being here in this moment, enjoying this day and this smile and this conversation and this sunrise, etc. Mm-hmm. So let's shift a little bit and can we talk about consciousness and how you understand where our consciousness exists? Oh my, that's an <laughs> interesting question. So um, I don't, from my experience, consciousness is not localized so we assume because we're head centered and and because we think a lot and because our head you know houses most of our sensory organs we tend to think of consciousness in our brain or some people associate consciousness with brain and certainly scientists might or we associate it with our head or a head center you know in, in the in, in some Hindu teachings, consciousness is, you know, the third eye and mm-hmm. the center of the forehead. Um, and my experience, my immediate experience is <clears throat> consciousness is not localized. It doesn't have a location. 
a shape, a size, a space, a color, an age, a gender, a form. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it is, I think, one of the most mysterious things in life is it's clearly present it's, and consciousness is, is that which allows us to know. It, it's what allows us to be mindful and aware. And yet we can't find it, we can't see it, we can't name it, we can't place it, we can't label it. And yet it functions by itself and is uh, the nature of our mind, and, which is equally uh, un undefinable. So um, it's one of those things that defies definition. Um, and yet through mindfulness, we can actually come, we, we can turn attention to consciousness or awareness itself. We can, we can learn to be present to this experience of knowing, right? We can know it through inference. We can know it through its function and its function is to know, is to be present. So when I don't have one nearby, but if I had a bell, right? And I ring the bell or just listening to the sound of my voice, you don't have to make any effort to hear me, right? That's consciousness is happening by itself. Mm -hmm. It's not even ours. It's just doing its thing that we happen to, that gives us information about ourselves and life. And what mindfulness, the relationship between mindfulness and consciousness is mindfulness. With mindfulness practice, we're growing that, we're kind of growing that quality of consciousness. We're making it more foreground and more developed. So from a psychological perspective, Freud would say the process of therapy is making the unconscious conscious. Mindfulness uh -huh. does the same thing. And uh -huh. some ways, right? It brings the, all of these unconscious feelings that we have that, are, that we might mm -hmm. be repressing to our awareness. The difference, I think, it seems like, is that mindfulness just allows you to recognize that they are there and not need to do anything with them. Right. Yes, a few, few, few distinctions. So one, Freud was definitely really interested in the unconscious. Mm -hmm. I would say mindfulness makes one aware of the unconscious and of the conscious. We're not that aware of what's conscious. <laughs> like what's conscious is our everyday experience. We're basically mostly oblivious to most things most of the time, including ourselves or right. each other right. or environment, right? We're just lost in our head. So mindfulness is both making that really, con it's the conscious knowing of that. Mm -hmm. And also it allows us to be more attuned to our inner world, including the unconscious and, mm -hmm. and allowing that to be more known. Um, and then, and then, so there's two parts to mindfulness. One, one is the knowing of that, whether it's our inner or outer experience. And the second part is, and this is where the insight and the, and the shift from suffering to peace comes in, which is why I titled the book that. Mm -hmm. The second part of mindfulness is how we relate to experience. Mindfulness mm -hmm. is the knowing of experience and also paying attention to how we relate. What's our attitude? So for example, maybe you're sitting like I am in a chair and I have, I have some chronic back pain. Me I'm too. Aware. Okay. <laughs> so I'm aware. So, so we'll practice right now live. <laughs> so I'm aware of the back pain. That's the first level of stage of mindfulness. The second step is how am I paying attention, which means how am I relating to it? Am I 
hating it? Am I resisting it? Am I judging it? Am I contracting all my muscles around it? Am I afraid of it? Am I spinning out about the future of like, oh no, I'm, I've got this pain now. I've got five more hours at my desk. It's going to be terrible by the end of the day. And I'm, right? That's and all. I'm only, I'm not going to say my age, but I'm only X age. And what if this keeps going and right. I'm, yes. you know, it's only going to yes. get worse and then I can't walk when I'm 60. And Right, right. And who's going to take the kids <laughs> to school and how am I going to work and I'm going to be on the street. And right, we could so that, that's, that's a very negative, you know, spinning out, right? Mm -hmm. So that, and at the different levels, right? From the very subtle, like we just noticed the little, First, we sit down, there's that little twinge of like, oh, there it is again. And then immediately this tightness. Oh, no, there's fear. Oh, no, there's, oh, I hate that. I'm sick of that. Why didn't I take care? Why didn't I do my yoga class today? And so all that is how we create a lot of suffering. We layer on suffering or pain or stress mm. on top of this basic element of experience, which in the moment for me is like a aching dullness in my you know lower back. Right? Mm -hmm. So, and we do that with every experience, you know, maybe... Maybe your partner comes home from work and you say, hey, and they kind of, you know, they've had a bad day and they kind of look grumpy and they kind of like, eh. and then we make a whole story about, oh no, they're really unhappy. I must've done something wrong. They don't love me anymore. Maybe they're going to leave. It's like, no, they just, you know, we're feeling grumpy and they walk in, they're tired and they want to go rest. Mm -hmm. So we're layering on these, 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 these layers of experience that are unconscious usually that create so much stress. You know, and that's what leads to the suffering, right? Because the pain right. is the back. Right. But right. the suffering is the story that you place on top. Like it's like the transparency. Now I'll age myself. Remember those transparencies from school? Right. right. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> With the projector. Yeah. Um, right. That's the laying on top of that makes that pain, the story that we tell about that pain makes, right. makes it suffer yeah and it's not just thoughts like you know that example of your partner coming in being grumpy that might trigger a huge wave of fear and anxiety right or you're sitting in in traffic and you're late for a meeting and that might also trigger you know you know high blood pressure and, and rage because you either at the traffic or rage at yourself because you didn't leave early enough and your boss is coming to the meeting at nine o'clock and blah 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 so it there's, there's, there's many ways that creates a lot, of, a lot of unnecessary suffering. So the mindfulness brings the awareness to both the experience, traffic, partner, back pain, and also what we do with that. And, 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 and mindfulness allows this space to unhook from a more negative or reactive way of relating to it and allows us to find the, the wisdom or the wiser response, which might be kindness or asking a question of your partner or, you know, taking a breath, realizing you're not going to get to work any earlier if you get annoyed or not, or, you know. Mm -hmm. So what, last question, what does your meditation practice look like? So my practice um, is, uh, is, is you know, it's mindfulness-based, awareness-based, and mostly it's um, what I call a non-doing practice, where I'm simply present to the flow of my experience. So I sit and I'll ground myself from the body. I'll be aware of the sounds around me. I'll be aware of the breath as sort of like a touch point, aware of my energy, moods, thoughts, sense of space. But I'm basically just present to the flow of experience and abiding as much as I can in awareness, in the knowing of my experience. 
And of course I get distracted and thoughts come and I come back. But basically just being present, you know, resting in, in that knowing spacious awareness and allowing the flow of life to, to, to happen. And then, and then, you know, at times insights and understandings and, you know, aha moments come and, but basically just being present. And, but it's really, you know, in life we, we prioritize the doing, the busyness, the activity in meditation, in that, that, that style of awareness, that style of meditation, I'm prioritizing awareness and the knowing of it and everything else is sort of secondary. And I lied. One more question. Sometimes, this is my personal question because I get to do that when I interview people. Um, when I, sometimes when I'm in meditation, I, how do I differentiate between being in, because sometimes I will get to a very blissful state where I feel very expansive mm-hmm. and then I don't know if I've fallen asleep because uh-huh. it just feels so clear right and peaceful and it's almost like i don't feel my body anymore my physical body right i feel like i'm outside of it right yeah so i would say we definitely not asleep because when you're aware and you're knowing that it's clear and calm and peaceful and your body's the sense of the physical body is dissolved so usually when we get calm and concentrated then all kinds of things start to happen so like the the candy of meditation space light, colors, usually the body at some point softens, dissolves, becomes less prominent, and there's more sense of openness, spaciousness, lightness, and usually, you know, usually quite pleasurable, um, peaceful, not many thoughts, not many worries, and you know, that's, that's a deeper quality of uh, meditation or absorption, I would say. And, um, and then I catch know, myself going, how do I make this last forever and then i'm out of it in two seconds right right so that that's the relating to it (laughs) that 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 becomes faulty right that's you know so you know i talk about this a lot in the book you know we have pleasant pleasant experience and what do we do we grab it right we hold on we how can Mm. i make this happen how can i make it stay around and as soon as we do that we've stepped out of the state we were in which was openness relaxation acceptance allowing and we were into gripping wanting demanding Right. So in the same way that we push the back pain away, the same way we grab onto the, the goods, the pleasurable stuff, mm-hmm. and we create the same unnecessary dissatisfaction. <clears throat> Got so, it. And, that, and that's where the awareness illuminates. All right. Here's this beautiful, expensive experience. If I grab onto it, it disappears. Mm-hmm. How about I just relax and enjoy it while it's here and let it go when it, let it goes. But also note, learning, oh, what was it? Maybe after the fact, you learn, you, you pay attention like, oh, I'm curious what allowed that to happen. Maybe it's because I really let go of my worries or maybe I got really focused on my breath or there was a re- nice quality relaxation. Oh, that's the doorway maybe. So I understand the conditions that allow that to happen in the future rather than demanding it happen or demanding it stay. That's mm-hmm. two very different things. That's where the wisdom comes from mindfulness. And also the recognition that sometimes that I will have the experience of what are we having for dinner? Shoot, I forgot to go to the grocery store. The dog's barking downstairs. Right. You know, all of that. Did I pay the credit card bill this month? Right. Like all of those things. All of those things. Right. Totally normal. And that's, you know, a lot of meditation is kind of humdrum 
you know, mundane stuff because that's part of life. It's a lot of humdrum, mundane, getting the kids to school and buying the groceries and feeding the dog. And, you know, other times, you know, there's more peaceful, sweeten, op sweetness, openness. And, um, and we take that as much as we welcome that as much as we welcome the back pain. That's, that's mm -hmm. the key to peace. So, I mean, I loved this. I learned so much today. Can you tell us where we, where people can find you, where they can find your book, which I highly, highly recommend for people who like to read because it's, it's going to be one of those that lay next to my bed probably forever. And I'll just pick up and read. I think that's the beauty of it is you don't have to necessarily read it chronologically. You can pick up a chapter and what sort of right. resonates with you at that time you can reference. But where yeah. can everybody find you? Yeah, so my website is markcoleman.org. That's M-A-R-K Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.org. And that has all my information about my books and meditations and my schedule. I teach a lot of meditation retreats and teacher trainings. Um, so that's a good place. Um, and then to get the book, you can get it on Amazon or Indie Books or your, hopefully your favorite local bookstore that might still be in business. Mm -hmm. So, And it's available starting May 14th. Great. And this will, right. So this will, it will be available by the time everybody hears this. Great. Um, but all of this information will also be in my show notes for people to track you down as well. Great. So, and next, well, you're going to lead me in a meditation now, which I will post, um, which will drop next week um, on the podcast. So stay tuned for that as well. And thank you so much. Thank you. It's a really pleasurable to just a great conversation. So yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.